Well, who doesn't love a good redemption story? Story where someone comes against all odds and goes on to um, do amazing things. Well, that's what we have for you guys today. Uh, and it's a story that's near and dear to my heart uh, as the man that led me to the Lord in prison uh, has flown in from Denver to share his story, an incredible story, a story that I believe is altogether more interesting than mine. And I'm told by many people that mine's pretty interesting. Well, God writes a story. It's interesting. And the story we're going to share with you today of Charles Frederick is interesting indeed. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome everyone to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News, and host of this here podcast where we're in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama every single week. We've got an incredible episode today. Um, I've got a guest that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, and you will find out why he was involved in my coming to Christ and played a major role in that. Uh, and I've also got a great co-host coming in to help me interview because she is unbelievably inquisitive and draws nuggets out of people's stories that I can't do. And so she'll be joining me for that. But before we get into that, I want to tell you guys, please join the fight. What does it mean, join the fight? Well, become an 1819 News member so that you can get behind-the-scenes content, exclusive content that we're creating, merchandise. Uh, it's 1819 merch, sweatshirts, T-shirts, hats, uh, Yetis, all this different stuff. It's all cool, and it's all good, and 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 I like all of it. Um, but at the end of the day, we'd really love you just to support the work we're doing because we're doing it on behalf of the people. Uh, in other news, the YouTubes have permanently taken us down. We go. We got like six strikes. So at least in their benevolent tyrant state, they gave us, you know, a few strikes, six strikes or so. And then they finally said, okay, you, you don't play nice. And they, they Gestapoed us and, 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 and they took us off. So one more reason to join the fight so that we can get the bulk of the people who are following us have a place that we can always go. If all the platforms turn against us, we'll always have our website, Lord willing and the Creek don't rise. However, that saying applies here. So, um, but without further ado, let's jump into the content. And I will say, um, I want to open this up, um, with a quote. And the quote is the universe is made up of stories, not atoms. And that's imperative, um, because we're in the storytelling business here at 1819 news. And it's ultimately Jesus used stories, um, to, to talk to people, our brains and our psyches download stories and stories speak to our hearts, speak to our souls. And so we love to tell stories and that's what we're going to be doing today. So without further ado, we'll jump right in. Allison, thank you for joining me for this incredible interview that we're about to do. So excited. I think Charles already might be my favorite guest because he like shows up in his t-shirt. He's over here just like so chill and laid back. And I love that. I'm a little jealous. Should have worn my t-shirt, but I'm excited to meet you. I can't wait to hear. I don't know how your story's better. Did you jump out a window so. tied to a recliner? No. It, mine's boring I compared doubt to it. his. I'm no. so excited. Thanks yeah. for coming all this way. You're welcome. Yes. Thanks for bringing me. <clears throat> Charles, I'm super excited to have you here. You got to meet your your namesake, or Charles got to meet his namesake. Best little guy in the yeah. world. My little Charles is named after this big Charles. And should have so, put that together. Yeah, should have. <laughs> Where were you on that one, Allison? Harrison. Harrison was Harrison. not paying attention that day. Apparently. Aw. Yeah. Do y'all like each other? 
They were oh, best yeah. buddies he fell right asleep in his okay. arms last night. Really, dead serious. I should have taken a picture of it. But so yeah, two oh, wow. two two men in my life that have made an unbelievably huge impact. My grandpa Chaz was a Charles Charles Margeson. Uh, when I was young, played a huge impact in my life, uh, being a, a you know a manly figure in my life that was not my father, my grandfather, uh, and then flash forward to prison and life forward from there was Charles. So Charles is a very special name uh, in my life, and so I thought, what better name for my son than Charles? So there you go. I believe you have an incredible testimony. I've heard it, and Charles and I have gone on radio shows and stuff before and shared our story in Colorado years and years and years ago. Um, and just hearing, you know, God's grace in Charles's life is an encouragement to me. And I think it'll be an encouragement to everyone else and just how his, how God saved him, brought him into my sphere of how God saved me and then how he's got us doing kingdom work now after saving us. It's really cool. So Charles, talk about a little bit where, where were you born? Where we, where you grew up, how you found yourself on the path to prison. Okay, thanks, because I, I do feel like that's part of God's story, because it ain't my story, right? It's yeah. the good Lord's story and what he's done. So um, I grew up in Bailey, Colorado, um, and it's a real small town. And when I was five, I remember my mom asking me if I wanted to accept Jesus into my heart. And, and it was on a green couch. I can still picture it to this day. I said yes, and I asked Jesus into my heart. I was about five years old. And, and I grew up loving the Lord and um, went to church. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday visitation. But that's not to say that it was exactly a, um, it was a very abusive. My dad would slam our heads against the wall, um, spank us till we was bleeding in our back, couldn't lay, you know, I mean, just, it was very, very angry household, but I grew up loving God. Like I love Jesus. Um, uh, I remember memorizing verses as a kid, the Romans road. It was the independent fundamental Baptist church that I grew up in. Girls didn't wear pants, makeup, jewelry, none of that. We didn't celebrate no holidays, no Christmas. Don't like, do like the heathens and cut the tree out of the forest and deck it with silver and gold, you know? So we just didn't celebrate any of that. And so, um, by the time I was 13, I was leading the worship at the church, Baptist Bible Temple, right off Quitman in Kentucky. And there's about 300 people in the church at the time. And at 13, I was leading the worship. And and that's when, should I just keep going with the story? Okay. I have a question sure. already. Okay. I'm sorry. What, what, a little bit about your parents and their backstories. And um, so they were still married. Your dad was still in the home. Are you an only child? No. Have- so, so my mom, my mom was uh, actually married to my uncle at first, and had four kids. Okay. And it and it was really, I guess, a bad relationship as well. She came home from having her fourth child. Wait. So your mom was married to your uncle, your dad's no, brother. No. No. Um, so she came home from having my sister Chris, my half sister. Okay. We all have the same mom. Six kids. So on the fourth child, my mom came home from having Chris and found her husband in bed with her sister. So she left him, okay. and Uncle Harry went and married my mom's sister, Aunt Maculia. So that's when he became your uncle. And that's how he became our uncle. Okay. So then my dad comes into the picture, meets mom. She has four kids. Okay. 
their sister, my aunt married, my dad's sister is like, Hey, well, you know, you need to talk to this lady. So he goes over, she cooks him a Thanksgiving dinner. says worst Turkey ever ate, but he act like he liked it. <laughs> we ends up adopting those four kids, giving him his last name. Okay. And then he has me and my youngest daughter. So, and they got married because she got pregnant and they didn't want to marry out of, or have a kid out of wedlock. So I don't know that derogatory yeah. term that I would be, but that, you yeah. know, this, I was yeah. married. They got married right before I was born. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, so the neither one of them was in church and they were like, Hey, when I was about one, they was like, Hey, maybe we should go to church. I went to church and that's when they kind of started coming to the Lord and. That's why I grew up in the church. So your dad knows Jesus. He does, and my mom. And your mom, but he's very abusive. Very abusive towards your, all of us, your siblings, as well as your mother. Very abusive. There okay. so many times, throws in the car keys. Like, yeah, it was okay. Not a good scene. So it would, I would say, bad pedigree. I was talking to Brian about this before because so many times you hear people talk about good pedigree. I think I'm a good pedigree. Well. God redeemed me from even bad pedigree. Mm-hmm. So That's what he does. I was ashamed of that for so many years, but I've learned to accept that because yeah. I didn't choose my parents. God, God did. I didn't choose my hair color. God did. I didn't choose my race. God did. Right. So I grew up in a, in a home where we didn't have a whole lot of money, but dad was trying to put us in a private school and the kids that went to the private school had money and we didn't. And we were the only redhead, freckled kids in school. So all the kids come with nice clothes. We just had hand-me-downs, haircuts that were chopped up by dad, right? And then the way we paid for that was we cleaned the school. When the bell rang, we'd have to go and start cleaning the school. So all the other kids are doing other activities. We're cleaning the school, getting made fun of mm. because we're just that poor family that was in that school. And so just grew up with a lot of ridicule, a lot of... Does that feed into your story where you're I going? think it did. Yeah. I think I think it did into my addiction and stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah I mean, it doesn't. It, it kind of shapes us, right? Yeah. So was that strange? It sounds like your father deeply cared for you or wanted good things for you, but yet you're experiencing this abuse. That's just like this weird, it's got to mess with your head and your heart. Not really. I mean, I understand that of uh, the depravity of all of us now. Yeah. When I went to prison, by the time I went to prison, the the nicest thing that I had said to my dad probably 10 years before going to prison was, I wouldn't give you the courtesy to urinate on your grave. I hated him that much. Mm-hmm. So now, um, after prison and everything, you know, I sent a letter I, in prison. I wrote... I said, I'm going to write down every, because I kind of get into the Bible thing. And I said, I'm going to write down every reason I hate him because I have to forgive him. And it was 19 pages front and back of legal paper, two lines in each line. I had so much, and I sent it. And mom says they never got it, but I got healing in my heart because it was that letter where I was sending it off to dad saying, this is why I hate you, Mm. but I'm going to forgive you. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that part of the story. That was still in the county when that happened. So let's, um, before we jump into the days of incarceration. Well, so, we were at 13 leading we were at 13. worship, yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, at 13, I kind of started liking this girl. Her name was Leanne Cook. And so I would invite her to church, and her parents would come occasionally. And they so happened to come this time, and they always sat in the back, and I always sat in the front. 
And so got done leading the worship, and they had come in during worship. I was in the back, and so I went to the restroom and let Pastor Bird get well into his sermon, probably a good five, ten minutes, you know, because I wanted to sit by Leanne. And so I come out of the bathroom. He's in the middle of his sermon. I sat down in the back beside Leanne. I kind of had a crush on her. <clears throat> he stops in the middle of his sermon. He says, Chuck, you need to leave that girl alone. Get up here and sit where you normally sit. Now, I'm embarrassed beyond measure at this point, right? I mean, I just spoke about how I how we went through ridicule in school. So, oh you know, and, and I just, I couldn't do nothing but just shake my head no. And he says, fine. I want the entire church right now to start praying for Charles because he's a rebellious kid. And I got up and said, no, pray for Pastor Bert, and walked out the church out the back door. And it was that very week when Leonard Costello, I was working at Taco House, 581 South Federal. Worked there from 13 to 16. I was working there. And I left home. I was like, I ain't going home. Actually, Leanne's mom and dad said, hey, you can come stay with us. And they even went with me to confront the pastor. They wouldn't let me go in, but they're like, we're going to have a talk because this is ridiculous. you know. But So anyhow, uh, Leonard Costello was working at Taco House, and he was 28. And he's like, well, you come over to my house. I'm 13-year-old, grew up a sheltered life in Bailey, like never been around alcohol, drugs. Like we didn't have no TV, so I didn't even know marijuana existed, let alone there was nothing. Like I'm dumb to the world. Yeah. And he's over there, and he's showing me how to play cards. Oh. And, and he was shooting up what they called crank in those days, which is meth. Go fast. And yeah. Like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, it keeps you awake, keeps you alert. Why don't you try it? And in my great wisdom, okay. And he shot me up with meth. First time I ever tried any drug was intravenously with in the vein as 13 years old. Wow. Yeah, and I loved it because I was up for like three days on that one shot. Like, this is great. What did you do all that time? Like as Play a cards. mom with four kids, I'd do dishes. I'd rearrange the cabinets. <laughs> like I'd clean the baseboards. But at thirteen, what do you do? You just party for three days. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. With your Play new cards, best friends. Hang out. Walk around. Walk around the city. Yeah. Just sounds exhausting. Yeah, and I was only using pretty much on weekends. Uh, you know, occasionally I wasn't heavy in my addiction, but that's where it began. And I never went back to church, and I began a hatred for God. Because I was like, I don't know why, but I attribute that to, you know. And so, not one to speak too much on my addiction, but through that time, and after I got clean in, in, inside the prison, I, started, I ended up with an 18-year prison sentence for solicitation of first-degree murder after deliberation. And I'll explain all that. But after I got clear, I realized that I got sentenced to 18 years, and, and I shot dope for 18 years. And I thought, hey, God, that's pretty mm. interesting, right? It's like, so um, that time was ugly. There was parts in that time where I would, if you came around me and, you know, my hair grew, right? If you came around me and tried to tell me about God, I would tell you that you're crazy. That there, ain't, there ain't no God. How can God love you? And send you to hell. You know, I mean, I ended up adopting all those views. So fast forward a little bit. Um, 
I'm with my sister. My sister was alcoholic, and I was going through a divorce with my first wife. Wait, you just jumped years and years and years. Well, that's because yeah. most of my addiction. Um, there how, was. Uh, how? Where did it go after? So you're living with whatever his name was, the Taco Mama guy. Yeah, Taco Mama is what we have down here. Sorry, Taco. Taco House. Taco House. Casa de Taco. How long did you stay with him? And did oh, you? I didn't uh, stay with him. I, oh. I I was still staying with the cooks. He was only a. Oh, he just wanted you to come over. Okay, so you staying... I would staying... go over there. I'd go over there to use drugs. He was just working. He was a steam table. I was a dishwasher. So how long did you live with Leanne's family? <sighs> Probably till I was about 18. And at that time, I went to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Did you and Leanne ever date? Or were you like... Like, what happened? I don't know. I mean, I mean, we kind of did, but yeah. she didn't really like me. I was that red hair freckle, you know? So... The fact that I got to hang out with her was good enough for me at that time. We're on friend, friend. I know all about the friend zone. (laughs) I can listen to my story. That's part of your story, too. It comes from a lack of self-confidence that is, you know, anyway, inherent in in, an upbringing from certain many years that goes the way that they do. But so, yeah, let's go to the Marine Corps. I think that's interesting. Because you, you you flashed to 18 years old and you joined the Marine Corps. You're obviously doing drugs and everything up to that point. Um, I mean, do you have any exciting, is there any arrests, is there any high-speed chases, or is it just kind of a pretty much a functioning addict life until the Marine Corps? Even in the Marine Corps. Um, even in the Marine Corps, all I, I mean, what are Marines known for? Drinking and partying yeah. and, right? So every weekend we're at the bar drinking. I mean, there was times where on Court Street there in Carolina, because I was stationed at Camp Lejeune in Carolina, uh, I'd go down there and, you know, take a hit on weed or do a line of Coke. They was doing foilies then. Um, and I would do try to do enough not to get in trouble. Um, just duck in the system. And a couple times I even had a UA. And like one time I remember I, I had did a lot of drugs that weekend. And the next morning they were like, hey, everybody's these social security ends in four needs to go drop a UA, right? And that was me. And so my buddy in the chow hall was like, hey, I got a drop. You know, and he's you like, well, a drink drug this. Test. A, a drug test. UA. Yep. Okay, a urine test. Gotcha. And he's like, here, drink this vinegar. I'm like, how much? He goes, I don't know. Drink the whole bottle. So I go back to the barracks and I'm slamming this bottle, a big old bottle of vinegar. <laughs> Horrible. That's what all the healthy, freaky people do now. You're ahead of the time. Really? Yeah, they drink <laughs> apple cider vinegar. Do you have any correspondence with your family, with your parents? Did they ever reach out after you left or what, where are you with your family? So I would, I would spoke with mom, uh, but not with dad. Okay. So, and, and siblings, of course, <clears throat> my older siblings had already left. So I hardly ever seen them at this during this time. How yeah. long were you in the Marines? Six years. Six years. And I didn't use heavy in there, but I did some party. Yeah. So, where do like to just talk about your time in the Marines and we'll go to a commercial break and come back and kind of get into the meat of your story. But this is a good introduction, I think. So Marines, you were in there for six years. What did you learn anything? Was there anything that was instilled in you? Was there? No, all I could think about was just partying, Yeah, partying, partying. And I hated being drunk all and then falling out and doing a, you know, PT. big old, oh. big old hump, you know, just miles. And, yeah. <clears throat> but when you're young, you can handle that stuff. Right. Yeah. So I, I just scratched my way through that. 
you know, but I didn't ever stop using. I used the entire time. I, I got to where I thought I was doing good because I wasn't doing no more heavy drugs, just drinking. Right. Probably the last two, three years. <clears throat> I got out, met Diana, got some kids. I was actually clean. First few years getting out of the Marine Corps, too. My daughters were like one and two at the time. And I was at a pool hall. And I looked down the ground. I was putting the kids in the car. And guess what was on the ground? A baggie of drugs. And I was like. Well, that looks like some meth or coke or something. So I picked it up. So do you think the enemy might have had something to do with that? Yeah. Charles. I took it home, and I was like, I got to test this to see if it's any good. Yeah. And if it is, I can sell it. Well, three days later, the drugs was gone. Yeah. It was cocaine, and that's how I got introduced to cocaine. Yeah, so, I mean, this is really interesting. The reason that I bring Allison on, I've heard Charles' story 10, 15 times in the course of our friendship and going and sharing it on the radio and, and different things and witnessing to people with our testimonies. Um, but this is a lot of stuff that not even I've heard. So this is really interesting. Um, you guys stay tuned for the rest of Charles' story. I'm on the edge of my seat. I hope you guys are as well. Hey, y'all. It's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in D.C. and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the quick letter app from my phone to write letters and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in DC and in our state, a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so quick letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. And Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the U.S. mail. Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your U.S. senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com. That's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, and before we jump back into Charles's story, uh, I just have to say a few words about Quick Letter uh, and, and what Jim Hicks has done in making it so incredibly easy for us to do something that's so incredibly important, and that's reaching out to our legislators and letting them know how we feel, what we think, and what we expect of them. Um, and to sit down and write out a letter and find an envelope and find a stamp and write the address and go to the post office and on and on and on. It's a drag. But what he's done with Quick Letters, he's made it an app. You can go any app store, the Apple one or the other one, um, and get the app, download it, and type in your address. It'll have every one that you need to write. And if you want to write people that aren't necessarily your legislator or your representative, uh, you can write anybody uh, and and write them a letter. I actually had someone sent me a letter after they watched the Steve Marshall podcast we did. They sent Steve Marshall a letter telling them how thankful they are that he's our attorney general because he's doing incredible stuff. So it doesn't just have to be negative things and bad things. If you have a legislator that's doing something good, encourage them. They need that as well. So a uh, quick letter, go to the app store, download it, and start writing today. All right, so back to... Charles's story. Um, man, so one of those parts I didn't even know. So here you are. You've got a little bit of sobriety in your life. You got a, a woman in your life. Got a couple of kids. And you're putting the kids in the car and you look down and boom, 
there's a bag of drugs. You grab that bag of drugs, and of course, the addict mind kicks in. I'm just going to test this so that I can make some money because I need a little bit of money. I've got kids now, and I'm going to boom, the bag of drugs is gone, right? Which is, if you're an addict, you understand that really, really clearly. So take us there. What happened from there? So that's where my usage started again, and it, yeah. and it just started progressing because no matter what, when you're an addict, it just progresses. You need a little more drugs, a little more. Um, and it progressed to, um, you know, in Diana, she was the kid's mom, Brittany and Becky's mother. Um, I had told her that I used and stuff and, and, and she was a good mom. She was very adamant, you know, that, well, don't want no drugs around the kids. I'm like, of course, I don't want no drugs around the kids. I never used, matter of fact, when, after I was in prison, after even, because I went to prison twice and I'll speak on that a little bit, but after I got out the second time and spent time with my daughters, you know, they were like, Hey, you know, and this is after they're adults. Did you really use, you know? <laughs> and like, yeah, they didn't well, know. no, no. And, and everybody would tell them your dad's using drugs. And they thought maybe smoked marijuana or something. They had no, they're, you know, they're like, what kind of drugs did you use? I'm like everything. Yeah. So you were a really <clears throat> good addict. By the time I got arrested, I was using, uh, about an ounce of cocaine a day with with a eight ball of meth and a little bit of heroin at night so I could go to sleep because I didn't want to hit the lows. How I'm alive is only God's grace. Mm. And I had convinced my mom that as long as I had that every day for the rest of my life, I'd be okay. I had convinced my own mother of that. So, I mean, I was the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst addicts at the... You know, and how did you support that habit? Was it through selling or was it through work? No, no. So I was a functioning addict. I worked, yeah, but I also stole a lot of stuff from Walmart, yeah, um, Kmart. Charles, I know, but you're so nice. Well, this because nice I have Jesus. Steal. I have Jesus now. It's different. Like I have people that used to ride with me, and like Johnny. Johnny came into prison when he was in Walsenburg, and he's like. You know, because I cut my hair, and we'll tell that part of the story. But he's like, dude, if I if I wasn't sitting here with you, but you don't even look the same. Yeah. He goes, if, if God can do that for you, I'm going to go to church too. Yeah. Well, okay, wait. So, <laughs> so and, we, and that jumped this way. Yeah, we jumped because you're like maybe 25, I guess, when you find Ish. the bag yeah. and you're starting to use again, and you've got two daughters, you're out of the Marines, and you have to start supporting. Where are you with God at that point? Still hating him. Outright okay. rebellion. Take us to your first trip to prison. Why did you go? You got out. What happened? So, so, um, so I'm, I'm going through a divorce. My, my first wife, she kind of ran off with my brother, Harry. And this is Diane. Yeah. She came home wearing his clothes. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, and she had him, her and Harry did whatever. And so our relationship kind of started pulling apart. I can imagine. And, so I'm at my mom and dad's house, and uh, my sister was an alcoholic as well. And she stayed upstairs. It was like a, a duplex. She was over at dad's house, right, mm-hmm. over on Sheridan. Yeah. So How mom and dad she- stayed downstairs, and Bonnie stayed upstairs. And I was downstairs, and Bonnie came. I'm sorry. I just want to know how you reconciled, like, how you got back to your parents' house. You said. Um. So me and dad still didn't, at this point in time, dad was like, I mean, there was times dad was like, I just want to bust you in the mouth. And I'd be like, go ahead, old man, you know, just because we hated each other. Yeah. Um, but I would communicate with mom. 
So you would go see her. I had kids. I'd go yeah. see mom. Mom okay. would want to watch Brendan and Becky, you know, but me and my dad, we just, okay. I just, I hated him, you know. Yeah. So I'm at mom and dad's house. Bonnie comes over. She's upstairs. She goes, give me a ride to the bar. I'm like, okay. So I take her to the bar. We're in there having a couple of beers. She owed me $140 and she had a lot of money and she's buying drinks. And I was, I wanted to get high. And so I was like, could I drink a couple of beers? I wanted to go get some Coke. And I'm like, hey, you owe me 140 bucks. Let me get that. She goes, no, you're just going to go get dope. And I'm like, so? She goes, well, go sit out in the car, and I'll, and I'll come out, and I'll go with you. And I said, okay. So I sit out in the car for like 45 minutes. She never came out. So I go back in, and she's buying rounds for everybody. I'm like, what the heck? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just bought all these rounds. I don't have the money no more. Now I'm pissed. I'm like, look, if you don't give me at least 40 bucks, I'm going to go get your TV, which is upstairs at mom and dad's house. Go pawn it and go get dope anyhow. She goes, I don't care. Just make sure you get it back out of the pawn shop. I said, okay. So I go to mom and dad's house. I go upstairs. I get her TV. I take it to the pawn shop. I pawn it. I get my whole 140 for it. Right? I go get dope. I go back to get her. She's gone. So I go to mom and dad's house. I do the drugs. Fall asleep on their couch. Next thing I know, police knocks on the door. Open the door. They're like, hey, I'm going to talk to you. They arrest me for burglary. I go to jail. I've never been in jail. I'm in my 30s at this time. I, I've never been in jail, right? So I go to jail. They're charging me with second-degree burglary, which is a F3, four to 12 years. I'm like, are you kidding me? The public defender sees me the next day, and she's like, this is not burglary. This is petty theft. Wait, she's like, what do you, what do they, because you stole, stole your sister's TV? Uh-huh, and oh. then went to the pawn shop and pawned it. And she little, turned you in for that? She called police and told them exactly where I pawned it and everything. I was like, and they're like, I'm but like, this is my she sister. She said okay. Right. But they, she told them that she didn't. I was like, this is my mom and dad's house. I have a key to it. How do I burglarize it? And they're like, she's the one that lives upstairs. And she said you couldn't go in there. So therefore, it's burglary. Oh, my God. My public defender says, look, this is petty theft. Wait in jail 30 days. We'll get this dropped. I'm like, 30 days? I've never been locked up in my life. I'm like, 30 days? That's a lot of time, right? I need out today. And she's like, well, then you got to take a deferred judgment. Do two years probation. I was like, okay. So um, I take the deferred judgment. I get out. I'm still using, right? And I had a girlfriend. Her name was Katrina. Yeah, that got it. Okay. And I met her at... Denver Institute of Technology, because I got into HVAC, and I was going through there for my associate's degree in HVAC, and she was doing medical. So, well, she did drugs, too. So we kind of, you know, you kind of end up meeting up, right? So I'm I'm seeing this girl. We're still using. Um, I get arrested. Well, her mom and dad go out of town. I'm trying. I'm just trying to tell the story quick for you. Yeah. I apologize if I'm me. No. So her parents so out of town. She's watching the house, right? She calls me up. She's like, "Hey, come over." I go over. So she had already took a lot of stuff. I'm like, "No, you can't do that." And she's like, "So the rest of the stuff." I'm like, "Well, don't take it to the drug at drug dealer's house. Let's take it to the pawn shop. At least your parents will get the stuff back." She's like, "Okay." So we do that. Basically, wiped out her parents' house. They get back, and she's begging me, please just say you did it. And I said, okay. So I did. It's like, I did this. 
was on probation still. Charles. <laughs> hey, it's all God though, right? Because I feel like yeah. God's hand was in all of it. Okay. Even Wanda, her mom's like, why are you taking this? If we talked to the neighbors, they saw her doing it. Why right. are you doing this? And I was like, I just did it. And because she says, look, I love you. I'll be there for you. And the the next day after I'm arrested, I call and her dad answers tied. And he's like, oh, she's not here. Oh, Charles. Like yeah. the, the very next day. Yeah. So anyhow. Have so, you had children with her at this point? Uh, Zach. Okay. Yep. No, I don't know if I. No, no. Okay. Zach came later. Oh, at my this, gosh. She comes back? After I got out. It was um, only. So I ended up getting that two years and ended up doing a two year. DOC sentence. They turned it into DOC. Okay. So, and this is an important part. So I got to tell this part. So I'm in the county jail and and I'm waiting. And and now I haven't talked to God in a long time. I had hated God. If anybody mentioned God, I'd talk them out of loving God. I'm in the cell. Now, now granted, I led people to the Lord when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, one of the guys that lived across the street from the pastor on 666 Independence Street, the pastor used to talk bad about him. Like, his address is 666, ain't, you know? Well, I remember we was at the pastor's house. I, the guy was out mowing his lawn. So I go, I lead the guy to the Lord. He comes to church. He's like, this kid can come tell me about Jesus. So, I mean, those are just some of the memorial things. I loved it, right? But at this point in time, I'd been so far away from God that I just, I just, I don't know. I was just far away from him. So I get in the cell, and I'm in the cell with this old Spanish guy, and his name is Jose. And there's something within me that says, tell him about Jesus. And I'm like, I ain't going to do that. And so I told him a dirty joke. And I had this photographic memory when it came to dirty jokes. Charles. Photographic memory. All night long, I couldn't get that thought out of my head. So we stayed up all night. All I did all night was continue dirty joke after dirty joke after dirty joke. All night long. When they popped the cell in the morning and said, Frederick, I was so glad to get out of that cell. Because the last thing I was going to do is tell this guy about Jesus. So you fought Jesus with dirty jokes. They took me out of the cell. A few minutes later, they popped the door again. Jose, he comes out. They chain him to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. All the way out to the county jail, I'm telling dirty jokes again, right? You get to Denver County, there's three holding tanks. And each tank, you're in there about an hour. And every time I'd get to the next tank, I'd be like, whoo. And you guys it. five minutes later, here come Jose again. I'm like, holy, you know, I can't get away from this dude. So he's in there for a DUI. I'm in there for second-degree burglary, an F2, four to 12 years. $10,000 bond, $100 bond or something, right? Well, so they sentenced me to Alpha 9A in Denver County Jail. And I'm like, okay, this felon pod. I'm away from this dude because Denver County Jail has many places they can send okay. you after you go through those three processes. So... <laughs> Guess who comes in to the 9A five minutes after I get there? Sure, Here comes Jose. Yeah. And I'm like, so we're it's an open dorm, right? And we'd been up. I'd been on drugs. I hadn't slept in days. We was up all night in the county without drugs. Telling dirty jokes. Telling dirty jokes. So I'm tired. Jose done went to bed at 7, 8 o'clock at night. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. I can't sleep. All I can hear is ask Jose if he knows Jesus. So if I got so mad, I was like, you know what? I don't know if this is God or not. I was like, well, I'll go ask him if he's awake. If he's awake, I'll ask him. If not, 
I did what I did. Please let me get my sleep. That's just self-talk I had. So I go to the foot at one o'clock in the morning and I, as quiet as I can by his feet, Psst, Jose. and he opens up. Yeah. What man? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I walk up beside him. I said, dude, this is so stupid. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, but do you know Jesus? And he sits up he looks at me. He says, you gotta be kidding me. Right. And I was like, no, I'm sorry, dude. I, said, I know it's stupid. He goes, no. He says, I've been laying here for hours saying, God, if you're real, please send somebody. And I was like, oh, okay. He goes, I picked up a Bible. I said, well, let's go. So we went to the bathroom because that was the only place the light was on at 1 o'clock in the morning. I show him the Romans road that I hadn't touched. And he goes, so I just have to ask Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I said, yeah. So he, so he prays the sinner's prayer and asks Christ into his heart, right? And now I'm crying. I haven't cried in years. He's crying. And uh, I go to bed, sleep like a baby, right? Next day, he's like, whoa, now that I did this with Jesus, what do I do? Should I go to church or something? I'm like, yeah, you should go to church. Well, what church? I don't know. I haven't been to church in years. I said, I'll tell you what, the only church I know is this little one. You wouldn't know nothing about it. It's over off Quitman in Kentucky. He says, are you serious? And I was like, why? He's like, I've lived across the street from that church for the last 10 years, wondering if I should go to that church. Tell me these coincidences, yeah. right? I said, yeah, you should go. I get sent to prison for two years. He gets out. Mom comes, sees me, and um, actually, I think dad came with her at that time. Anyhow, they're like, do you know Jose? And I'm like, no, because I just went back in my addiction. And they're like, well, they said you led him to the Lord in Denver County. And I was like, oh, yeah. And they said, man, he's been coming. He wanted us to tell you hi. It's like, okay, you know. Oh, my goodness. So so fast forward now a little bit again. That was in 1998. 2003, I get arrested on this. Solicitation of first-degree murder after, well, there was five F2s. Conspiracy to commit first-degree murder after liberation, two crimes of violence, solicitation, and attempt at first-degree murder after deliberation. I got convicted on one, the other four not guilty. I get sentenced to 18 years in prison with a five-year till. What's a, what's a till? A, t- a tail is a five-year mandatory parole. term of parole. So you have a five-year, so whether you get paroled, whether you do your full 18, whatever, once that's done, you, you stop serving what's called your mandatory release date and your PED, that's your sentence. And then on the end of your sentence, you have another five years of parole that you have to serve is the oh, way the Colorado gotcha. time works. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I get sentenced to 18 years with the, uh, fi- but before I was sentenced, I'm in the county. And again, I haven't had nothing to do with God. And by the time I got arrested this time, I had uh, other charges in lots of different counties. And the one was in Elbert County, it was criminal impersonation. I got caught stealing from, I did a lot of stealing, so I got caught a lot. So I did, but those were misdemeanor charges, right? And I knew that theft was under 500, right? And a misdemeanor under 500, so I'd steal at $449, you know, because I was just brilliant. And that is smart. (laughs) And the cop would be like, they would be like, oh, you know, you're lucky because if he would have had another $50, you would be resting you right now. I'd be like, really? (laughs) Oh, man, I'm so lucky. Yeah. Right. Just manipulative, playing the game. So anyhow, a lot of those. So they have what's called a writ of habeas corpus. So if you get arrested on a big charge, you can file a writ of habeas corpus, and they'll take you to different, county, different counties and clean them up so that you're not released, and then you got to go that one. Right? You, you clear them all up at yeah. once. So I had a criminal impersonation in Douglas County, or in uh, Kiowa, 
just up from Elizabeth. I'm in Adams County. It's an hour drive. They take me in a paper suit because I'm looking at 265 years. And I get there. They won't even put me in general population because I was considered too violent of a criminal. So they have me in um, a separate cell. There's two barred cells because not all cells have bars. So these are just bars so the cops could see us. And the only one that was in there in the other cell was Ron. And he uh, killed a girl and a prostitute and dumped her out by the lineman in, in 2003. You guys can look that up because. And so he's in there and and I'm in there in the other one. Right. I'm like, hey, you got anything to read? Because I was there two weeks. And he goes, all I got is this Bible. And I go, I don't want no stupid Bible. So he's like, well, mm. I'll tell you what. Why don't you see if you could take it with you? Because in Elbert County, it's a small one, so they can just look through your stuff and they give it to you. He goes, the print was too small. This is a real nice Bible. It was too small for me to read, so my mom brought me in a bigger Bible. He goes, why don't you, why don't you see if you can beat your case, take it with you, and put it in your property where your clothes are at in Adams County? And that way, if you beat your case, somebody in your family would like it. And I was like, Mom, right? Mom would like that Bible. He says, it's a nice Bible. It was a leather-covered Bible. I was like, okay, I'll try that. So after two weeks, I get sent back. Now, they take you in a paper suit because you can't bring nothing to or from. But in Elbert County, this is a small county. They don't care. So he gives me a brown. I got a Bible in there. I got a book called Pilgrim's Progress that he had given me. I got um thermos, I got legal paper, I got envelopes, I got like I got this brown bag full of stuff. They wrote Frederick on it, stapled it shut. I'm riding in the back of the cop car, it's an hour drive. I'm looking at this brown bag thinking, I ain't supposed to be bringing nothing back to the county, and I'm coming back with a whole sack of groceries, right? Yeah. My rebellion, because once I was told he's rebellious, I loved rebellion. Tell me I couldn't do that. Rebellion fueled me at this time. I had latched onto that. I'll show you rebellious, right? That's my great wisdom. So I'm looking at that, and I'm laughing because I got a whole sack of groceries. And I remember looking out at the clouds, and, and my faith at that point was I didn't know if I didn't know if God was a fairy tale like Santa Claus. My faith was at that point. You know, I grew up believing God. So when the Bible says, even if we're faithless, he even if we're faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself, and that My word will not return void. Those have different impacts for me. Because I know it was the word that was planted in my heart. And so on that way back, I remember, I said, so you're God. And I was just sarcastic as could be. And, and if you're God, let me see you get that Bible, not in my property, which wasn't going to happen. Let me see you get that Bible all the way into my cell. Definitely not going to happen. If you go Adams County, big county, you can't bring nothing from no other county. You're not bringing anything in. No way. So I say, you're God. I'll tell you what, you get that Bible in there, I'll read read the stupid thing. I remembered making that to God. We get back, they put the bag on the counter, they uncuffed me, and they put me in the holding tank. I'm there about 45 minutes and got my toilet paper from my pillow, you know. And Frederick, I come out, and the cop or the CEO there, he's like, is this yours? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know you can't bring nothing. He takes it and throws it in the trash. I don't even have a chance to ask him put it in my property. I mean, I knew that was going to happen. He right. said, you can't bring nothing. Just toss it in the trash. Come on, let's get you dressed out. So he goes and dresses me out in my orange and white stripes. Gives me my milk crate with my blankets and toiletries and socks and underwear, right? And he goes, okay, head back to your unit. So I start down the hallway. And in Adams County, they got these long hallways that go down to the different classifications. I get about 10 feet down that hallway. Because these hallways probably, I say like half block long. They're long. And I start about 10, 20 feet down here, and Frederick, get back here. It's like, doo, doo, doo. I come back, you know, and 
when I left, there was three seals. When I come back in the room, there was just him. He goes, come here. And I go over there. He reaches in that trash can, grabs that brown bag. He still never hoped. It's still staple shut. Lifts up my blanket, shoves it in the blanket, push it. Hurry up. Get out of here. You didn't get that from me. I was like, okay. I take off down the hall, right? What if there was like a machete in it? Or a bomb. Or a bomb. Yeah, who knows? It's just a Bible, but he doesn't so know. So I'm going down the hallway, and I'm thinking, soups, right? I ain't had no money. I'm going to trade, and I'm trading them stamps. And guess what? It dawned on me that stupid Bible was going to be in my cell. Yeah. <laughs> and I got just, mad. Just, just for people who don't know, soups and stamps are the currency of in, cur- currency. Of incarceration. Like so, soup? So, like ramen noodle soup. Ramen noodles. Oh, 45 okay. cents, right? Okay. And at the time, stamps were about 45 cents. So, it's so like good. Soup of stamp, right? This was literally your trading currency when you're in prison is ramen soups or stamps. Yeah, because the food is not very good inside. Yeah, and so if someone's got canteen and they've got like a Danish, okay, well, you give me two stamps, you can have a Danish, or you give me two soups for a Danish. It was, that was just, that, so that is the currency. you are the king. I just came up a lot, yeah. right? I mean, I'm like, and then it dawned on me that stupid Bible and I got mad. And for three days, I sat, I'm in 23-hour lockdown because of Ugh. being in max. Yeah. And I sat in there looking at that stupid Bible on my desk. And the last thing I wanted to do was read the stupid Bible. But I'm the one that made the deal. Yeah. And I couldn't deny it. I was like, it ain't God. It's coincidence. This wasn't God. Yeah. But I couldn't deny it wasn't him. The Bible's in my cell. And I was like, you know what? I'm in 23-hour lockdown. Even though I grew up in church, love God, and was at that point in my life, I had never read the Bible. I don't think any kid really reads the Bible, right? We give them, ne- maybe some kids do, but Story, I had never snippets. read the Bible, yeah. read the Bible. So I was like, you know what? I'm in 23 hour lockdown. I got nothing else to lose. I got legal paper here. So I'm going to go through this book page by page and dissect it. I used to have a high IQ, not no more, but they used to tell me I had a high IQ. I'm going to dissect this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to write down every error, every lie, every contradiction. Like, I'm going to prove that this is garbage because I don't really know. Mm-hmm. So when I get to the end and I rip it up, I'll have a clear conscience that this is trash. And that's what I did. I started just going page by page, just reading it in detail. And I got to the book of Samuel. And it says rebellion is a form of witchcraft. And who has lived on rebellion for the last 18 years? It was me. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time I said, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going to quit telling my dirty jokes. I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to do it your way. That way, when I get done and rip it up, you really can't say nothing because I did it your way. So I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to give you a fair chance. And this peace came in my heart. Mm. That still fuels me today. And that's the piece I try to tell people, give God a chance. Just give him a chance, you know? And I cried so hard for three days, I couldn't quit crying. And the Bible started, I couldn't get enough of it no more. And for the next 10 and a half years, you could ask him. In prison, people would be like, I mean, I had a softball team, but most of my time was in my cell, just studying the Word of God. I mean, I did four different curriculums with associates. You know, I just couldn't get enough of the word of God. And, you know, Brian, we come in there, you're stupid for reading that Bible. Yeah. Oh, wait, so are you there? Not well, he, for, not for not about yet. five years. Not yet. Right. So once we get to, once he got to, was Walsenberg the first prison you went to? Yes. Yeah. And so Walsenberg's got 
I mean, you can get like basically almost get a seminary degree in there, right? It's this God pod and it's a, yeah. it's a private prison, which is core civic now, CCA, whatever. Well, there, there's a lot more of a faith presence because it's a CCA prison or now a core civic. It's private. They're based out of Tennessee. They encourage faith-based stuff, state stuff. They had a chaplain, but it was like, it, it, it wasn't the same. Right. And, the, and they called it a God pod, the faith pod, right? I mean, they're literally like doing seminary classes in there and stuff. And yeah. I'm sure he took advantage of all those. I did. We went to Liberty University, went to Family Radio School, the Bible God and Associates uh, with them. Got, and it doesn't really matter. Crossroads Bible Institute, all the prisons set free, Bible study, which is equivalent to an associate's. But um, so anyhow, so I'm in the county. I give God my all. And I surrender, and he starts coming alive. The chaplain, Hugh McDonald's, she was an Asian lady. She's like, you had an, a spiritual awakening is what mm -hmm. she would call it, because I couldn't get enough of God. Like, I'm just. And so after four months, um, they moved me from max to medium. I'm fairly new in my faith, right? And I'm like reading my Bible. Right? I can't get enough of him. But they moved me from having my own cell in 23-hour lockdown to medium, which was all the cells were full, and I was on a boat out in the day room with like 30 other people mm -hmm. on boats. And it's so loud. And I'm like, I don't want to be here. I want to go back to Max. And the guard's like, oh, you can't go back to Max. And like, why not? I'm cool with Max. Just put me in Max. And he's like, mm. You're doing too good. You got to be a medium. He's like, if you want to go to Max, hit somebody. So, okay, I got that. I was, was going to say, uh, did yeah. you ruin it? So I was looking. I was like, fine. I'm going to size up the biggest dude. I'm going to go clock this dude, right? And, hey, nobody said I was perfect. At, I'm still far from perfect. But yeah. I was looking to clock a dude at this time. And about that time, somebody slides a note on the door, and somebody picks up the note and says, Frederick. And I'm like, all right. So I go up. I come back, and. There was this young Spanish kid, and his name his name was Jose, and he's like 18 years old. Was Another Jose. The, okay. okay. Technically, he's Jose B. <laughs> so. There's like <laughs> a story there. Anyway. Okay. Anyhow, so this young kid is on the boat next to me, and his little Spanish What's kid. What's a boat? So it's a, it's basically, it's like a sled. Like, so it's like a little plastic sled that they put a blanket in and that's where you slept because all yeah. the cells were full, all the bunks were full. So, the, so if all the cells fill it, then they put bunks out on the, in the day rooms. And then when all the bunks are full, they, they do boats. Right. So that's, yeah. it's, it's what they do when there's overcrowding. So I slept out in the in a, day room in, a, in, a, in yeah. like a little plastic oh. like boat, boat, like a little river boat. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. So I'm so sleeping there boat, and, literally. and, and this little and Spanish Jose. kid, this young kid, Jose, he's like, Hey man, what's the note saying? I was like, Oh, it says I just. The note says that I that my youngest son Tanner was just born. I go, oh, we just my son was born healthy, eight ounce or eight pounds. Yeah, and he's like, oh, well, let's get a cigar on. I was like, okay, you know, we didn't have no cigars, but it was a nice gesture of memory. Right? <laughs> yeah. So we're like acting like we're smoking cigars and we're <laughs> celebrating. I don't even know this kid. Right? I'm just my first day in the pod, right? So uh, later, so but that took me off my edge of wanting to knock someone out. I, oh, I sat so you down. never hit anybody. I never did. I sat back down on my boat and I picked up my Bible and I started reading it. And I was like, okay, if this is where I need to be, I'm just going to focus on the word. So I got into it. Well, about four o'clock that night, I look over and Jose's on the young kid. He's on his bunk. He's just in tears. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, you know, this morning you had baby boy. And I was like, yeah. I just got off the phone with my wife and we lost our baby. And I said, oh, my gosh. I said, I'm so sorry. I was like, and I'm like new in this Christian thing, right? And I'm like, 
but I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, hey, would you like me to pray for you? And he's like, if you want. And I said, okay. So I put my hand on him. I'm praying for him. And like five years ago, when I had that thought, asking me if he knew Jesus while I was praying, I had that thought. And so I got done praying. I'm like, hey, uh, do you know Jesus? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, can I show you some verses? He's like, yeah. So I showed him, you know, some verses. And I said, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? And he says, yeah. So he asked Jesus into his heart. And he's in tears. And he's like, you know, he says, I'm going to go call my family and let them know I just accepted Jesus. They've been trying to get me to do that for a long time. I said, okay. So he goes, and he's on the phone. I'm back reading my Bible. And pretty soon someone's yelling at me. And and, uh, and it was Jose. And he's like, I come over there. He's like, did you ever have long hair? And I was like, what are you talking about? Well, he says, my dad said some dude led him to the Lord with long red hair in 98. Was that you? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Stop. And, and so I go back to my boss. Charles. I say, yes, that was me. Tell me what's chances of this. Um, only God. Only God. And that's when I went back and I said, I'm a bunk. And I knew God had a call in my life. Because there ain't no way that coincidence happened. And I said, I'm a bunk. And that's when I fully committed. I said, God, if you did that, I couldn't deny it wasn't him. Like, there's no way those things happen. I said, I'm all yours. I'll follow you, you know. And so when the time gets tough, that's the situation I call on. You know, because there's times still the enemy will want us to think God doesn't love us. You know, our prayers are bouncing off the walls, right? We have a stepdaughter that we adopted into our home, and she's 27, and she's going through cancer. and She's a prayer warrior, and, you know. And old Shyla, she prays for everybody. She has her prayer closet, and she has cancer. Mm-hmm. And I won't say on the air, but they, they didn't give her much time to live. Mm-hmm. And she, she's seen so many people healed, but yet God tells her no. Mm-hmm. And to help her walk through that, I think, is some of the journeys that I've been on because we don't know this side of heaven, right? We don't have those answers, why God says yes when he healed my leg. And, you know, but— I had committed my life to the Lord at that time. I said, I'll, I will follow you no matter where you take me, right? And and I'm not going to look back. I'm, and uh, that story can, I can tell you story after story after story after story. We do not have wow. enough time here yeah. of how God still just moves mountains every day. And I'd rather walk by faith than by sight any day. And so now you have an understanding of when I go into my story, and I say, wow. and so then he gets shipped to Walsenburg, right? And this must have been 2002, 2003? No, two, um, two, maybe yeah, 2004. 2004, okay. I get, I get there in 2008, so four years. I get there in, in 2008, and I walk in with just, you know, you're, you've got, you know, your little, your blankets in this arm. I don't remember if it was cup and spoon or what it was, but it's basically your greens, right? And that's what you, you love that the greens. It's actually that, that color. Is that why you wear that color? Oh, today? really? It was literally that color. Like yeah. that identical this is color. Not green? It it's is green. It's that's green. the exact color. It might yeah. be a little lighter. It's a little green. lighter, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's it's reminiscent for know. sure. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I, I love green. PTSD. Having flashbacks. No, you're okay. good. So, <laughs> first time I've ever so worn this shirt. I walk by in the way. and I've got nothing. And they put me in this faith pod, right? And that's the last place I want to be. But it's just that's where the open bunk was. Again, I'm sure that was coincidence, right? Right. 
And so I walk in with my stuff. He's my neighbor. Yeah. And Charles walks right up to me. I've still got my stuff in my arms. I don't even know where my cell is yet. And he's like, hi, my name's Charles. I'm a Christian. And he's like, this is a faith pod. And I was just like, no. And I, and that was when I saw him. And, he, and again, I'm Aww. fresh into prison. This is my first, cry. This first is moment in prison ever. And here comes this big dude, right? Now you can see him. He's as big as me. He's got the Semper Fi tattoo, just like I always say. And I'm like, okay, well, this guy obviously knows his way around the joint, so we're going to hang out. But I said, you know, Charles, we're good. We can hang out, but you can leave that Jesus stuff at the door. And, uh, yeah, and so but he just became my friend. And he goes, do you play softball? And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I told him I got a good arm. He had a gun. He He has a gun. Yeah, and so, actually, no, I don't. We want to clear that up. I don't have any guns. I just have, I can throw really hard. I just want to make sure that everyone understands. And the guy's like two steps from first base when Brian releases from third and he still smokes him out. Okay. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. We had a good time. And you had, anyway, there's so many stories about that. But I mean, you're playing on a super not nice field, right? Very like, competitive field. Everywhere, ball fly. Anyway, yeah. so it was fun. And, and, but he used the softball team as a ministry. And there was about half the people on the softball team that were believers. The other half weren't. And he, and, and he would use that as an opportunity to minister. And he did to me. Um, and there's just so many stories with Charles. But, I mean, you know, before I ever knew Christina would ever come back to my into my life, I had my eyes on this girl. And he told me it was a bad idea and that I wanted to make sure She was a police officer. But she's, she's a really officer. nice lady. Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> and, and he's telling me, you know, anyway, and he, he kind of pushes me aside from that. And he says, well, whatever you do, whoever it is. You know, and again, I'm not a believer or anything. He's like, you know, you need to make sure you save yourself until marriage. And again, this is the worst people in the world, right? We're in prison. And I'm just like laughing at Charles. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, flash forward to me and Christina, that was still stuck in my heart, right? And we made sure that, that we honored God by doing that because of what you said in that cell, right? And there's so many of those, but he planted seeds, planted seeds, planted seeds. He ends up getting shipped to Sterling. We would write letters to each other. Um, you know, just hey, this is what's going on here. Da, 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 da. I think they're about to close Walsenburg down, and they did. I got shipped to Bent County, went to Arrowhead, went from Arrowhead to Sterling because there's a whole deal with my security level. I wasn't supposed to be there, so then they shoot me to, to Sterling, and you know, I get to Sterling and walk out on the yard. Boom, first person I see again, Charles. There he is. And then Charles continues to plant seeds, gets me into these faith based programs, and ultimately challenges me walking back. So, Dr. Dale Tackett's been on my podcast. How crazy is that, right? right. So like the truth project is like a really big thing right there in prison. And, you know, it's this amazing program and we go through it and I'm watching it. And, and I know one of the guys in the truth project, you remember flash flash yeah. is in the truth. He project. was in the filming. Yeah. yeah. He was in, he was like literally in the films and I'm like, I used to sell this drugs. Guy to used to sell dope too. Yeah. Crazy. Right. So there's that. And then we're walking back after the third week. Cause I'm telling all these people how stupid they are for believing this stuff. Like literally almost getting in fist fights. And my whole beef was I could believe this Jewish guy, died 2000 years ago and created a cult following, but I couldn't believe that, you know, he was, you know, um, born of a virgin. He was the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died and his death did something for me. And that he rose from the dead. Like those were my issues. And I went back, you know, he, and then that, so we're walking back to the cell and he looked at me and said, Brian, why don't you give him a chance? And so I went back to my cell that night and prayed. I'd always prayed to God. I just didn't know how Jesus factored in and said, okay, God, if I need to believe these things to be okay with you, you're going to have to show me something. I wake up, at, you know, look at the clock. It's 316. You guys have all heard the story. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to church. That was on a Sunday morning at 316. Well, wait, no, he goes in the bathroom, washes his face. He swears he's in there five minutes, comes back. The clock still says 316. 
I, yeah, I. So that's I, why he was like, yeah, okay, I was I trying to go this back to sleep. Be a God thing. I've never heard that part. Yes, and I don't remember if I got. I thought I just rolled around in bed, but either way, there was a there was a long, long. period of time where I kept looking at the clock and it kept being three sixteen, and I'm like, okay, God, right? And so it's three sixteen on a Sunday. Okay, I'm going to Christian services, as they called it, in there. And I got up and I went and sat as far back to the side as possible. I don't remember a word Chaplain Davis preached. But he did an invitation. I looked over at Ramon, who was beside me, and uh, he says, you know, I asked, this, what, is, what is an invitation? And he didn't say, this is where you invite Jesus in your heart. And he just said, look, brother, if you got something hidden in your relationship with God, you can go down there and pray with that man about it. And he stepped aside because he knew the Spirit was on me. So I went up there and prayed with him, and he put his arm on my shoulder, grabbed my hand, and, and said, how can I pray for you? I said, okay, God, I, I just want to pray that, that God would soften my heart so the truth can come in because right now it's, hard and calloused and I know that he's doing something and I just pray that God would soften my heart and we got done praying and I looked up and he had tears pouring down his face and Chaplain Davis doesn't have Does tears it? pouring down right. it's never happened like right. that's the only time I've ever seen it I think anybody's ever seen it when come and and that's when I count was when I got saved was that day Charles gives me a bible and says start reading the story of Joseph and I started reading the story of Joseph and he said don't stop and I kept reading but what was interesting and the reason that Chaplain Davis had tears pouring down his face is because Charles and Chaplain Davis were like oil and water, right? And uh, the only thing that they did that they got along was praying for me. And then all of a sudden I show up at the facility, right? And Charles is like, that's the Brian Dawson that we've been praying for. And then, boom, I end up getting saved, and Chaplain Davis is just wow. weeping. And Ramon Webster, was a uh, he was a shot caller for the Bloods. I mean, this guy was just as black, big, solid as yeah. could be, rock hard, carried the keys. Yeah. Came to know the Lord as well, yeah. and that's the guy that was that sent next you to me. down the aisle. Yeah. yeah, so so God just uses His body, wow. and I let me, let me clearly kind of finish this up. So, young boy, young kid Jose, he tells me, you know, my dad always that's like his fourth or fifth time in jail for DUI, and he goes every time he would get out, my uncle, my dad's brother would come over with a case of beer and a carton of cigarettes, and hey, let's party, you know. And he says, my dad got out. Five years ago, because it's five years apart. And he goes, my dad got out, my uncle came over, and my dad told him, look, you're my brother, and I love you, and you're welcome, but I don't drink no more, and I don't smoke, because I gave my life to Jesus. And he goes, my dad hasn't had a drink since that day. And so I, wow. yeah, yeah. That well, <laughs> we can we could go on doing this forever. I want to get into just God's faithfulness. Um Talk about, you know, you get out, you end up reconnecting with your son, Zach, and just that whole process and, and what's happened there. So, I mean, the first time my son comes to Pier 1, he's like, <clears throat> he's just, you know, I'm I'm like thinking I'm a good dad. I had custody of my kids when I went in because his mom was in prison when he was born, and then I had my daughters. Um, and so I'm thinking, you know, he's – gonna love me but he was almost two i mean when he would run around to dad dad to dad dad because all he had was dad i mean i that's another whole story I, that was in my addiction but still i kept it from my kids you know um um uh, so anyhow I, that whole story is just so wonderful but so after zach starts going back and he would come to cherry hills with us and after church uh, when we would leave, he would usually say, hey, Dad, can you tell me a story, another story out of the Bible? And I'd tell him a story. Well, this one particular Sunday, and this meant so much to me, um, didn't tell me a story. I'd tell him a story. And he 
He said, Dad, I want to hear another one. I said, okay. So I told him another story out of the Bible. And I look over at him, and he's just got these tears just running down his face, about as hard as could be. And I said, Zach, are you okay? And he says, I got to tell you something. I said, okay. He says, you know, when you went to prison, he goes, I knew you were in prison. I never got to see him because his he stayed with Tide, who was a correction officer in Lyman. So I couldn't have him on my phones, my SIPs list, because he was a DOC employee. So there was no community. That was your ex-wife's dad. Right, right. right. Yeah. Katrina's dad. Yeah. And so there was no communication with my son at all. And he goes, but Nana, Grandma, uh, she would make she would take me to church. And there's a little church on the corner where they live. And I knew the church, you know, he goes, and he goes, but he goes every Sunday, the, when the preacher would preach, it was too much for me to understand. He goes, so I always would tell Nana, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he goes, I just want you to know, I would go downstairs and I would pray and ask Jesus to fix you. And I feel God heard my prayers. And that's why he was shedding those tears of joy. Listening to you tell stories. Because he knew God heard his prayers. Amen. And so I believe the prayers of my mother, the prayers of my son, right? Yeah. Um, if you was to tell me, look, we're going to take all the legal repercussions away, and we'll just put you back to where you were, and you won't ever get in trouble. I wouldn't. I, no. Send me to prison. Yeah. I believe in the judicial system. Yeah. I look at like you shared on the radio this morning, but I believe that I was like, you know, when a plant's about to die, you take it out, you put it mm-hmm. in good soil, you trim everything dead. Man, they, all the dead that was trimmed off me, there was probably just a little tiny twig left. But then started to produce Christ, right? Started to grow, right? And so that's why I, I'm a firm believer that once a, a, they you start growing healthy and they put you back out in society, right, to flourish, um, when they won't let you have gun rights, mm-hmm. it's like they're putting a bag back over you. Mm. It's, you it's know, yeah. it's true. It's like, okay, well, am I reformed or? Right. Yeah. You get back in Zach's life. Um, you get Tanner, your other son, and you basically, you get custody of them, right? So, so Zach and Tide got, had custody, right? Yeah. The cool part, I think what you're alluding to and when it happened, the family support registry, the state's child support gatherers, said they had never had this ever happen. So, you know, you're going to court for child for uh, uh, child support payments and things like that. And at the last hearing we went to, you know, the judge was like, Mr. Frederick, you're responsible. And you're doing everything you need to do. And... We don't need this in the courts no more. So he literally said, I didn't need it. I mean, he's like, hey, we, let's release him. And so support registry is like, we've not had this happen, but we got to figure out because he literally trusted me enough wow. that I was going to continue making the payments and doing what's right for my son, that he removed me from having to pay child support through the courts. So it's proof that if you're doing, you know what I mean? It, it's like the judicial system doesn't need us in there governing us all the time, well, for the most part. So, yeah. Right. So if you if you show that, hey, look, I, I want to take care of my kid. I'm Because I was, at that time, I was going above and beyond. I 
give John money, but you know, I was paying Zach's phone and I mean, I mean, him and his dad, right. Getting him clothes. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not living with me. Right. But at some point in time, so that was really cool. I thought because hmm. that had never happened from family sport register. They said, we've never seen a judge release that. They, he just leaves it there until they're 18. How yeah. far you've come. That's you had come. Uh, yeah, all, that's all glory to God. Yeah. Now my son Tanner, I have to tell this. So, He's the last one, and I'm married, right? I got out, met, met this wonderful lady, and our foundation was Christ, and so we got married. And we're like, you know, we're active in all of our kids' life, but my son, my youngest son, he was born while I was in, well, you know. Right, the, okay. The ticket that got slid under the door. So I don't even know him. And we're like, Lord, we want to be a part of his life. I've tried reaching out speak to him like for maybe a 30 seconds. Is right? he in the foster care system? No, he's point, with or? his mom up in Wyoming. Oh, he's with his mom up in Wyoming. Okay. And we're just like, Lord, we'd like to be a part of his life. Will you open a door so that we could be part of Tanner's life? Because like I said, we, we had done what we could. We'd get a number talk. And then next thing, nobody would answer that phone for yeah. a long time. Just it wasn't able to make none of it happen. So me and my wife, we pleaded with God, and that week we get a phone call from his mom. And she's like, I can't take this no more. I bought a plane ticket. He's going to be on the plane. Will you catch him Saturday? He's going to be in Denver at this time. You need to pick him up. How old is he at this point? Oh, gosh. Like eight, wasn't he? No, I think he was. Oh, my word. A little older than that. I think like maybe 12, 11, 12. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So this kid, he doesn't know me, right? We catch him at the airport. For the first six months, all he would do is wear a hoodie. Like he would go to church, but he. Ugh, he as a parent of adopted kids, this is traumatic. This is so tough. His mom, for the last two years before he came, uh, we for she sent him off. She was using, you know, meth still, um, and and they he, the guy she was with would fight. Like he'd seen this guy abuse his mom. Like, really bad. He's scared to death. Kid just scared to death. Matter of fact, at one point in time at 13, so it was like 13, 14, it must have been. When he was like 13, they made him drive from Wyoming to Washington while they followed him in a U-Haul and smoked their meth. Numerous times they tried to get him into rehabilitation centers because he had overeaten. He was a bigger kid. You're fat. You're... You know, and they would tell him just what you got to say. And he's like, Dad, I wouldn't tell him that stuff when I went in. And then Mom would get mad because she knew I wouldn't tell him. Because she'd be like, I'm going to tell you what to say. So they'll get you in there and you'll get the help. They just wanted to lock him up somewhere right. so they that she could. get rid of him. Right. Because it was funny. The two places they went to get their drugs, Washington and California, are the places she wanted him to get committed to. Right. For two years, he she was telling him homeschooling. And this is what, what broke it is Wyoming's getting on her. Like, how, this kid ain't turning in none of his homework. He's not. Right. And she's calling him stupid. How come you ain't keeping your homework? Well, he's in the back of a car while you're smoking meth, going from motel to motel, and and this poor, my poor son. And But so he comes to know the Lord after about six months. He gives his life to Christ. I had the honor of baptizing him at Cherry Hills Community Church. <sighs> Oh my word! Still got a picture word. of that. Yeah. He, he's yeah, he's doing good. So like, how old is he now? Eighteen. Yeah, and he's almost ready to graduate. Takes himself to school every day. 
Wow. He lives in Wyoming with his aunt, but he comes up because he lived with us a couple of years. And then, but he comes and visits us and drives all the way down. And, you know, he fixed the car himself. He's such a great That's kid. Super cool. Wonderful kid. All so right. tell us more about Teresa and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I just met her at one of the job sites and I was out working on her fence, you know. Yeah. And then she's, and I was single. She was single, had two kids. And so I kind of liked her and, and I, I hurt my thumb or something. I drilled it. And so she came out and fixed it up and then brought so me a, sweet. brought me a bowl of, amazing. brought me a bowl of chicken noodle soup. And, yeah. There we go. And she's like, you want some more of that? I was like, yeah. So less, didn't think nothing of it. I mean, I liked her, but went on about my business and about, cause I have my own little business still, yeah. still do uh, remodeling and stuff. And, and, uh, about, I don't know, three, four, maybe six months, somewhere in there, I get another call from her landlord and, Hey, uh, Teresa really liked the last job and she wants her floor. Can you come do the floor? So she created exactly what it was. I got another job. Right. She had another job. Yeah. Look at him light up. It's so cute. She's amazing. She is. And then how long have y'all been married? She is the most wonderful. Oh, five years now. Yeah, I think. She's the most wonderful lady in the world. I mean, see, I love her. May the 4th. Uh, she got yeah, married yeah. May the 4th. Oh anyway, and so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bible says that he who finds a wife has found favor from the Lord, and yeah. she reminds me of that just about daily, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> She's, she really Good is wife. amazing. <laughs> and so I, like um, I and believe then, it. Yeah, oh. and he had the wedding, and he called me and asked me to be best, best man. man. And so yeah. I flew out. Actually, no, we drove out. I, me and my buddy Caleb drove out there. Uh, and then my brother has, and so I wanted to spend time with Charles. Well, my brother, my older brother, who I'm super close with, they, they have their baby. They weren't supposed to have the baby for like another five days. Right. They have their baby. And I'm like, uh, I want to go hang out with Charles, but my brother just had his baby. And so I'm at the hospital. And then the next day, anyway, it was, it was a very eventful, uh, time and it was a beautiful wedding. I mean, unbelievable. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and I mean, she, anyway, I could go on and on about how great she is. She is amazing. Sweetheart. She's yeah. She teaches me every day. Yeah. And the the people, what really got me is like everyone gets up and says nice things at wedding. I obviously had great things to say about Charles that were very true and genuine. But like you could all the people that got up and spoke about her that were there at the wedding, you could just tell like this woman is amazing. Right. And so really cool. And she's a very special lady. And um, I'm glad I got to be a part of that. Yeah. She she has a heart. She I means she's in medical field and she loves working down at the coalition with homeless people and mm-hmm. Um, recently she switched to another job I and mean, now she's like, I want to go back to the homeless population because that's just the type is, of person she is. And Charles she has, wants to open an orphanage. And that is Charles. Like Charles has a heart for the broken, the, you know, the, um, the least of these, I guess what the Bible talks about that a lot of people overlook and don't even think about Charles heart breaks for those people when he ministers to them. On top of that, the guy can build a house, like literally probably out of toothpicks with, you know, I mean, just like unbelievable um work ethic anyway i could go on and on he's just amazing guy um and it's so cool to watch what god continues to do in your life and every three or four years me and charles get together again this is going to take forever but talk about uh uh, your dad and you and prison visits hey i was waiting for this part yeah yeah so i mean so i i think what really kind of brought us back together was mom um she died while i was in prison and 
That's kind of There's a big so, deal. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Me and Charles could sit here for like oh. 48 hours straight talking about this stuff. Yeah, the, what God has done is just amazing. So, was she sick or? She got mesothelioma. Okay. And then she tried cancer or chemo one time and it killed her and they revived her. And they was like, well, we're going to try a different approach. Mom says, no, I ain't doing it. And so she was gone in about three, four months. And I didn't really have, <clears throat> I didn't really, my mom only saw me one time uh, in prison and she came out and <clears throat> so they came, but they were late. <laughs> and it was funny because she walked, she walks in the visiting room and the visiting room's full at this time because we're late. Right. And <clears throat> I walk in and she's all the way across the visiting room, this big room. And she's like, there he is. There's my boy. And she come running at me, you know? Aww. And I didn't know what else to do, but go running towards my mom, right? In front of all these men. <laughs> I ran and gave her a, a hug. And I, and I remember that visit, I was like, mom, I want to tell you how God has changed me. Cause I had no communication, you know? And she goes, you don't need to say a word. I already know God's changed you. And she wouldn't let me tell her. She's like, no, I already know. I already know you're changed. How she knew, I don't know, but I think moms know. Yeah. You know, moms just know. know. And so so with dad, it kind of progressed. Like I said, I sent that letter, got off my chest. Dad, um, I don't know, after mom died, he started coming and visiting. And so we started talking and... um we rebuilt that relationship and, um, you know, I, I mean, and we did talk about some of those hard moments because I had to and, and he cried and he's like, you know, I'm so sorry. I've, I've been praying for God to take me home for years because of those choices I've made. And, and wow. I'm like, well, I, I, I forgive you, you know? So me and my dad built a, a good relationship and, I always go into these halfway houses and I always tell them, well, what if a drunk driver, you know, killed a family member or something, right? Well, we were having a lake event at the at the lake and dad had come out and I cooked him a big old steak. And I remember cause he was dripping grease all down his shirt and he didn't care. He's like, it's a good steak. And um, that day he was uh, a drunk driver, Gilberto, hit him head on and, and killed him. And... Um, had some time with dad before he passed, you know, dad's like, man, I feel like a sacrifice because it broke seven ribs, five ribs, blitz his sternum down the middle mm-hmm. and a frail chest bones, in his neck. Like he's like, every time I turn it, I just feel like a sack of rocks. Right. So, but dad's like, if there's anything we can do, let's try to help him. It's okay. So, uh, me and my brother-in-law, Donnie, um, we didn't even talk about any of that. Oh, Why I went to prison? Time. I know because I went to prison because my sister asked yeah. me. My sister asked me, you know, if I knew anybody to kill her husband, and so that's how I ended up going to prison. I know. That's where I wanted to know what the murder was. So that's so you my got sister. Hired as a hitman by my sister, and to kill who? Donnie, her husband, Donnie. Yeah, and Donnie ends up since we'll just make it quick that way. But Donnie ends up saying, hey, after we both get arrested, me and my sister, he's like, my wife wants me dead. I got to change. So he gets rid of his girlfriend, his mistress, and and recommits his life to God. And now there, he, so he fought for two years to go visit. And then after two years, because he was the victim, they don't let the victims in, right? Right. So he had to fight with the judge for two years, finally the judge ruled in his favor. And so he would take the kids in to visit his wife, my sister, for... The rest of her 20 years and then she's out and 
they recently retired and have moved to South Carolina and retired because, yeah, so God restored that relationship as well. So. <laughs> Is there, a, I'm, I'm sensing so, a movie or a book or like, book. like, Only this God is can Hollywood, do. but yeah. real. So before we got my thing. sister, where were we? With redemption yeah. in the end. Most of the yeah. time it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what God, Bible says what God puts together, let no man tear apart. Right. So where was I before I went to the sister? Your so dad your dad was in, in the, the hospital, hospital saying he wanted to help you bear And so Donnie went with me and we went to the court and we told judge. This is the one you tried to kill. No. No. Yes. Yes. I didn't try to kill I'm him. I'm keeping Quizden up Allison's better than y'all. My hey, goodness. But I didn't, try, I didn't try to kill him. I was. He was the one that my sister wanted me to. But she had given me seven guns and nothing. I was taking them and, and trading them for an ounce of dope. Oh, so you really weren't going to do it? No, oh, never once. Okay. No, she was well, on the last a recording gun. of you or something. Well, right? she was on the last gun, and she went. She's like, "No, I can't do that. That's the one he uses all the time." And I'm like, "Well," and I already told my dope man I had it right. And she's out, and so I went to my cousin. I'm like, "Hey, can you go get the gun and tell Debbie you'll do it?" And so he goes gets a gun, disappears for a week, and then he gets in a domestic dispute with Jackie because he had the gun. And so the police go to his house, and they're like. They separate him, and so he thinks Jackie's telling. So he's like, oh, I got a gun in the house. Like, why you got a gun? He had previous charges of domestic. And so he was already on probation at that time. So he's like, well, because my cousin wants me to kill. So they put a wire wire on him, and he comes to my house. And I'm like, where's – and I've been trying to reach him all week because he got this gun a week ago, right? And he finally shows up. I'm like, dude, where's the gun? He's like, like, look, he's like, I'm just going to do it. And I'm like, no, you're not. I need the gun. He goes – I already told Debbie I'd do it. Like, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, no, you're not. I said, I'll take care of it. I just need the gun. He's like, well, how are you going to do it? And I was like, I'll empty the clip in his chest. Well, I didn't know it was West Metro out there recording this conversation. That you was just happening. wanted it to sell, to buy it. I already it. told Dope Man I was coming with the gun, and he had already gave me a front on it. So, yeah, oh, no, never. So you're dead if you don't get the gun. Yeah, well, I wasn't well, the, dead, but, but the, not I, in, I was kind of. Yeah, I was kind of losing my connect, my best connect. Girls. So, but God had His hand in all that, right? Well, and that's so not anyhow, hard for your other so sister. So me and, me and Donnie, we about. go to court and we tell the judge, "Hey, we want Gilberto to be a part of our family. We don't want him to go to jail because it was this his fourth is, and, DUI." And to pause again. This is the guy that hit your dad head on and killed him, right? This is Gilberto. And it was his fourth DUI. He's an illegal alien, I assume. He is. And so so we go to court. Of course, the judge, she takes a break because she's like, she had to gather herself. She says, I've heard of these stories, but I never really witnessed one. This is she the goes, second this has never happened story yeah. that has followed Charles. Okay. And so she, so she came back and so we told him, we want him to be a part of our life. We want him to know our dad. We want to share my dad's life with him. So Gilberto comes to church every Sunday, uh, brings his wife, his kid. He hasn't had a drink since that day. Doing good. He helps me with some construction jobs. He's a great construction worker. Uh, and again, this is the guy that hit your dad head on and killed him. Uh, killed right. Him. So your dad is in the hospital. He's a bag of rocks. And then there, he just never leaves the hospital. Right. Yeah. But you all reconcile and he's repentant. Yeah. Yeah. And does he truly know the Lord? Oh, yeah. He yeah. loved the Lord dearly. Yeah, yeah, his dad. And, man, I used to go in visits, and it was what, every Saturday your dad would come see you. Yeah. And then I'd be in a visitation with my grandma or my mom or whoever would be there. And they would just sit there and, like, play cards or, you know, whatever and talk, and then his dad would fall asleep. <laughs> but he just wanted to be there with Charles. 
and his dad would just fall asleep, and it was just the coolest you know, thing he, to watch them. Granted, I was his only son, and yeah. I grew up hating him. Yeah. You know, so. So I got to witness that restoration. And then, so but then I get out, and they've got his mom's red minivan, the red Dodge minivan. Yeah. And they give it to me for like a thousand bucks, and it's like got That's low miles got. on it and everything else. And that was my family minivan. So I, I used that the whole time I was in Colorado, then I moved down here. And then, Stop. you know, Gracie, Reagan, Abigail, that was the, the car that they were in with Brennan. I know we don't have time, but I have one more question. <laughs> okay. I just, I, oh my gosh, it's four o'clock. Yeah. Okay. Here's my last question. Did you know there was something special about Brian? When I saw him? Yeah. Like, I'm just curious. Well, no, if it, you... at, when I first met him, okay, he was very angry. And he had this right hook that would just put most of the men on their pockets inside of prison. Okay. Like he just like. Same arm he throws from third to first. Super Duke, Duke can throw down. Okay? okay. So people didn't mess with this guy. No, he come in my he's cell and he's. teddy bear. I don't get it. He was very angry and very violent and very. Yeah. Without, Not who we know today. Without Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was putting people on their pockets or knocking them out left and right and. It didn't happen in prison. It happened in county, but I had a reputation. Which was kind so, of purposeful, correct? Yeah, that, my, was, that was the purpose of doing it. But that. my whole thing was he, he was next door to me. So he would walk by, and he'd see me in the reading, and he'd come in and call me how, tell me how stupid I was. No, he didn't tell me how stupid about. he was. Yeah. He'd tell me how I would, stupid I, would I was. Give, I would give him a hard time, but it was because yeah. I wanted to hang out with him, and he had coffee. <laughs> and he made strong coffee, he coffee, and he made iced coffee. And then we'd sit down, and we would watch the Chronicles of Narnia Um but anyway, that's I forgot about all that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. He's like the prison barista. Yeah, pretty much. Like for real. Yeah, we'd make it real strong and then pour it over ice. And then put some of the kefi. Yeah, kefi yeah. to make it even stronger. Yeah. Anyway. But I'm just. We call it prison gack. Yeah. Keeps you going. <laughs> yeah. I just am curious if you knew because it seems like he you really had a heart for him, and now I look at where. He is. Could God have done it without Charles? Absolutely. Absolutely. He doesn't need me anywhere. And every no. day, that's what I tell God every day, because I know God doesn't need me. And this is what I, this is my prayer every morning. Lord, please, can I just be used by you, please? Because I don't worthy to be used by him. I'm not worthy. And so that's my bag of God every day. Lord, please, let me serve you somehow. Some way. He doesn't have to, and I pray someday he doesn't quit. But to this day, he still lets me, and I'm thankful for that because he doesn't need us. He, he don't need Charlie, that's for sure. It's so, just so amazing, though. Like, you really, if you stop and think about these stories and how, you know, the Ebenezer Stones along the way that you look back on and you're like, God showed up big there. God did this. All the things that had to go together and for you to be here to start 1819 News, for it to be such a part of my life, like which all flows back all to Charles and, you know, all the things that happened in your and life. Christina like Christina coming into my life. I mean, it's just, it's insane. It's, it's what I said. That was that quote that I opened with. The universe is made up of stories, not atoms. Wait, next time you come back, can we do like part two? Sure. Okay. God orchestrates every minute of every day, and that's what he's been taking me through this year. Charles' story, uh, God's another story of God's faithfulness uh, and moving behind bars. 
outside of prison, all you know, all over the place. Charles is now basically, I think, an elder and a staff member at Cherry Hills Community. For the Church. first two and a half years of going into the halfway house, I was still on parole. And the director would be like, how are you on parole coming and picking up these guys and taking them to the mountains? And she goes, I was like, I ran it by Graziano, my parole officer. And she's like, oh, I'm running it by the parole board. And she would. And I'd email her, hey, what the parole board said. And she'd say, they said for you to just keep doing what you're doing. First two and a half years. And then, so that to me is proof that when God opens doors, no man can close them. Talk about um, <laughs> the, the, the effectiveness of your ministry in these halfway houses. Well, it's God's ministry. Amen. Um, Amen. And God lets me go in and open the word of God and talk about it with these men. That word of God changes lives. And I, there's nothing greater than just taking the gospel message. We're all ambassadors for Jesus. He's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation, the word of God. I mean, the very words of the creator is in paper, in our hands. What are we doing with it? And I just want to share that with them. And so I take that word. God lets me take that word. And we open the word, and the word begins changing lives. It begins changing destinies, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, the stories are endless of... Like I said, like I said, the 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 we just had a meeting with the halfway house, the core civic, core civic. which is nationwide uh, private uh, community correction, yeah. and they doing the the training. And the two halfway houses that we're in is Cherry Hills Community Church, is where I'm up, uh, on staff at as as a facilities guy. Um, they they um, the two halfway houses that we do Bible studies at has had the lowest recidivism rate for the last five years or so of all the specific and they specifically redirect it to the work that we're doing with the men on a volunteer basis so it ain't me right it's the word of god all you can do is go in and plant a seed right yeah and you speak the word i mean i'm like that muslim guy i was just telling you about he'd walk by and hear the word he finally started sitting down and he starts asking questions and next thing you know he gives well all i need is faith all i need is ask jesus yeah Right, the word of God is quick, powerful, sharpening into it is short. Right, Amen. it moves mountains, and so yes, yep. as long as God gives me voice and He lets me share His word, I without a doubt know that eternities will be changed yep. because the word of God just does that. Be chills. Yep. Amen. All right, we're really closing this time, just like I'd opened seven times. It's not a fake. I'm probably going to open again afterwards, and it'll be a fake open that you guys get to see that was redone because the first one stunk. It was. It did not. It was. Stay. It was horrible. Anyway, um, again, um, stories, stories of faithfulness, um, testimonies. I think they help open people's eyes to the faithfulness of God and the fact that He exists and that He is in uh, the redemption business, the restoration business, Amen. Um, and He is always at work. And so. If you don't know Jesus, um, I would encourage you, as Charles encouraged me, give him a chance. So, as always, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.